You're on 2%, two and a half, maybe even three. Depends on the usual bum flufferies. It's not about the money with you and me, right, is it? It's the charge, it's the bolt, it's the buzz, it's the sheer fuck-offness of it all. Am I right? Hello there, chums, and the warmest <laughs> of welcomes to another fine episode of what is probably your favourite movie podcast. If you ordered two podcasters from Wish, these two are probably what would show up. It's the dynamic duo of Breen and Mercer. Hi, chaps. How are we doing, everyone? Are we all right? Brilliant intro as ever. I'm really glad you didn't go with the one that you sent to us privately on the group because <laughs> I needed to remind you that my mum does listen to this podcast and <laughs> some of the things you were describing are definitely not PG. <laughs> he does not want to hear a quote about <laughs> Got it. And at the other end of the scale, a guest of such magnitude, I'm almost afraid to make eye contact from God's own country yep. and of course, inspiring city and art related noise. Stuart Holdsworth. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's good to know that this isn't a certificate you podcast. We don't want a certificate you. We want at least a 12A. <laughs> at, I least. A at least. At least. Anyway, before we go any further, I have a very serious issue to address. Ben, can you overlay some sorrowful music on this part, please? Awesome. Thank you. At the end of episode 14, I posed an Indiana Jones-related question. What is the name of the club that Indy escapes from at the start of Raiders of the Lost Ark? At the start of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ark. Once this was posted as normal on Facebook, we were contacted by a Mr. Ben French who pointed out the mistake I'd made in mixing up my Temple of Dooms and my Raiders of the Lost Arks. All he received in response was a sarcastic comment. Then, episode 15 began, and I of course posed the same question with the same stupid mistake. God, Ben, you're such an idiot. Once again, Mr. French got in touch to let me know I'd been a damn fool. I'm ashamed. I'm full of regret and sorrow. Mr. French, I fall on my sword and I beg forgiveness and hope my blatant disregard for the Indiana Jones franchise doesn't tarnish the good name of this podcast. Anyway, fuck it. I'm on the show. Are those tears I can see, Hammond? I, I, I welled up. I welled up. You look genuinely upset. Amateurs. We don't deserve the mantle of film podcasters. I'm so sorry. There you go, Frenchie. Hopefully that tides you over. Right, so we ended episode 15 with a question, which means we're starting episode 16 with the same question. I would like to know what item allegedly appears in every scene of David Fincher's Fight Club. Any guesses? Is it CGI just in general? Because if you go back and watch that film <laughs> again, have you, I don't know if you've watched it recently, but there is a lot of really stodgy CGI in it where they thought, do you know what we can do? We can do a CGI dustbin. Don't worry about it. We got it. It's like, no, <laughs> it basically looks like a PS2. It's absolutely insane. I was going to guess Brad Pitt, but I know that Brad Pitt isn't in every frame, but I do know it's one of those well-known pieces of cinema trivia that he pops up every now and then in the frame before the big reveal. Has anyone else got anything? Well, I thought it could be... A bar of soap. Oh, that's not a bad guess. Mm. Yeah, because on the cover of the poster, it's a big bar of soap, right? So I thought, well, have they been putting this bar of soap in every scene? But then I couldn't figure out, well, why would you do it? So I was just, I, but then again, I never really understood why there's a bar of soap on the cover of the poster anyway. Because they make soap from the human fat. There you go. That's the reason. <laughs> that's the reason. And I thought, I just thought, I just thought. We just never talked about it. We never talked about the soap. Oh, what well, do do? Amazing. You've been in suspense for 22, 22 years and we've yes. just revealed that secret. <laughs> Look at that. 
Breen, did you Google it this week? The thing is, I did know the answer to this anyway, but obviously we, we've had several responses. I'm sure you're going to read out a few responses on social media giving us the correct answer for this as well. So I don't know if you want to do a shout out for those. We have had correct answers from Jamie Sherwood. We've also had a correct answer from Paul Chapman. And I believe Aidan McCaffrey, longtime friend of the show, also sent in a correct answer. And it is a Starbucks cup. Is that right? Allegedly appears in every scene of Fight Club. Is that what you're going to say, Paul? Yeah, yeah. I was intending to sit and watch the film again just to try and see them all because apparently there's a drinking game around it. But I haven't just hadn't had a chance to to rewatch the film. But I do now really want to go back and watch it again just to see if I can spot them. It can't be every scene though. That's impossible. When I heard this a long time ago, I thought it was every fight scene there was oh. a Starbucks cup. But apparently it is in every scene. And Fincher wanted to acknowledge the fact that at the time it felt as though Starbucks were literally popping up on every corner of LA. So we wanted to give a nod to that in the film by making Starbucks appear in every corner of the film. And there's also a scene where they blow up a coffee shop and that was actually meant to be a Starbucks, but he was denied permission by Starbucks to use a shop. Funny that. Funny that. For some reason, Starbucks didn't want people <laughs> seeing one of their stores being blown up on film. But there we go. A Starbucks cup allegedly appears in every there scene. There you go. Simply saying that opinions are... Moving on then to our regular show pre-starter and this is our big picks from the small screen and this is a highlight of two or three things we have watched or streamed outside of the two films in review and we love to start with our guest. So Stuart, what's been keeping you entertained? Well, I love TV shows from, you know, the terrestrial channels, right? So I'm a big fan of the BBCs and the ITVs of this of this world, you know, Channel 4, the sort of, you know, the, the homegrown stuff and the stuff that I've been really watching. It's first of all, this ain't going to surprise anyone, but Line of Duty, come on, what a show. That is absolutely rip-roaring, just ace. And it's the sixth season now, I think. Most seasons have got six episodes, but this one's got seven, so it's extra exciting. <laughs> it's rip-roaring stuff. And I'm a really bad person in terms of just being a, you know, on your edge of this seat. I'll, I'll cover my eyes. I'll put a bag over my head. I'll go and make a cup of tea whilst the TV's on. I'm like that. I'm like so annoying to watch anything with. So that's Line of Duty, because it's just brilliant. And then the other thing, going on to ITV, Unforgotten. Again, it's a cop drama, but this time, it, generally speaking, it's uh, they're looking at cold cases. But the fact is that the acting is on point. The script is always excellent. There's a, a real dynamic of different characters in, in that particular show. Everyone's really written really well. There's richness, there's diversity, there's everything that you really want. Gripping stuff and the edgy seat. Homegrown as well. Oh, amazing. Nice. Very good stuff. Nice. Great. I'm going to go because I want to get up on my soapbox and have a rant. So here I go. I'm getting up, getting up on the soapbox. <laughs> so I want to talk about the TV finale that happened on Friday. I'm not talking about Falcon and the <laughs> Soldier. I am talking about one of the biggest TV shows that nobody is watching. And it's really frustrating me. And I just want more and more people to watch this. So please stop what you're doing and watch For All Mankind because oh, season two brilliant. ended. This TV show is amazing. Yeah. And it's like every single person I speak to is like, I have not got Apple TV Plus, so I'm not going to watch it. Why would I? And I, I get it because there is fuck all on there right now, but it is worth getting onto this show. Like just for this show alone, it is worth doing. All two seasons are now streaming. This is a fictionalized account of when America lost the space race and Russia was the first people to get onto the moon. We've talked about it in this podcast loads. Season one happened, I think it was last year and season two is just finished now. It's so much better than it deserves to be because it isn't just a science fiction yarn that spins off an alternative reality. And it, does, it definitely has those moments. But what's so brilliant about it is that the characters are so 
fucking amazing. Yeah. They're absolutely, they're so well drawn. This the human conflict in the show is incredible. And then couple that in with all these amazing like special effects. There's like there's a moon base in season two and all of it's so beautifully rendered. Please just stop what you're doing. <laughs> get yourself the free trial. Watch the show. Fuck it. Contact me. I will give you my iTunes, <laughs> Apple iTunes login details. Asterix. I won't do that. But I, but I might. So just get in touch and I will lend it to you so you can watch just how fucking great the show is because I am wor- they've, they're making season three now. I am worried that nobody is watching the show and they're not going to give us like a fourth, fifth season and it deserves it because it is so, so good. It is insane. Please, for good. all mankind, please, please watch a show. Can we just talk about how disappointing Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale was? I was thoroughly disappointed with it. I think you're the only person on the planet. I'm not. I'm really not. I've actually read like a lot of contrasting things. It seems to be divided really mixed opinion. Have you watched it, Stuart? I love it. I'm I'm on all in for the Falcon and the Winter mm. Soldier. You know, I just want to keep... <laughs> so am I. I want to just keep these Marvel series going. That's the only reason I'm keeping Disney Plus at the moment, which, you know, because they they're very clever in terms of how they're releasing things and just sort of getting people hooked. But yeah, I mean, I'm all into the cheese. Um, yeah. That, that gave me layers of it. That gave me a little bit of cheddar with some brie. <laughs> it really did. Lavishings of lavishing, especially during the three-hour speech at the end of the episode, which TV cameras would have definitely cut off halfway through. I was so motivated, though. <laughs> I was so motivated. I wanted to say yes. Yes, Falcon uh, Stroke, Captain America. I really, I really wanted to love it. And I, I really, I think this series is not as original as WandaVision, but I just, the finale, all the fight sequences just didn't work for me. All the stuff with the helicopter in the air, all that stuff was just crap. It just, it was really not well choreographed. It looked shocking. And I love the speech because it laid out the themes of the show. And I like that the show is front on going racism. It exists in America. What does it mean to be a black man holding the shield, holding that mantle? Brilliant. Love it. But just all the other stuff, the flag smashers, I think even Zemo wasn't really used uh, well at the end that reveal of the overarching person that was meant to be like oh my god it's her like who or him sorry no spoilers just it didn't work for me it was not invested and for me it's not as good as WandaVision in terms of it's what it executed and what what it brought to the table Paul you're going to disagree with me yeah I'm just going to say you're wrong okay (laughs) great engaging discussion as ever with focal points I think it's it's WandaVision wanted to do something completely different and it did that very successfully I think and again laid some groundwork for what's going to come in the films, etc., going forward. And I think the Falcon and the Winter Soldier did that, but just in a different way. It was, yes, it was more conventional uh, in terms of story it was telling and the way it sort of dovetails into the film aesthetic and the action sequences, etc. It really worked for me. I thought the relationship developed between the two of them, I thought it was very funny, but it was also, there was a genuine friendship developing between those two characters that, and that really worked. I think the the energy between the two actors was was dynamic and really worked. And whilst the Flag Smashers as, a, as an entity was possibly a little weak for a first series you really want to go over over the bang and the the super soldier element i don't think was necessarily explored enough zemo's not gone zemo will be back he he had the last word on the super soldiers uh, in that series and then the smile from him at the raft i know this is spoilers for people but uh so uh, but yeah it was great it was great I, I i really liked it and i'm very much looking forward to loki okay let's clap really loudly let's get hammond awake again come on hammond <laughs> back here he is I'm not talking about disney anymore come back <laughs> so mike was doing a, a live watch along of the oscars uh, so i wanted to catch up with as many titles as i could so uh watch promising young woman which dropped on sky uh, which was very very different film from the one i was expecting i don't know what i was expecting but it was different from whatever that was going to be. And I really enjoyed it. Harry Mulligan was fantastic. Yeah, it was a very different experience and it didn't go in the ways that I potentially thought it might. So really enjoyable watch just for her performance alone. It's a very interesting take on the underlying themes of that film are. Also watched Judas and the Black Messiah, which oh, wow. was 
Eye-opening. Again, it's obviously a true story. So a period of that late 60s, early 70s history of America that sort of doesn't really get the emphasis put on it that it should do. And again, wonderful performances across the board and wins at the BAFTAs and Oscars very much well-deserved for performances in that movie. And I watched My Octopus Teacher. That film had me in bits. Why on earth was I made to feel so much for an octopus? That I know Honey has a lifespan of a year or so, but it absolutely destroyed me in the way that just the, the cinematography is exceptional in that thing. And the relationship that he builds with this very intelligent creature is insane. And if you tried to make a fictional tale of that, people wouldn't believe it. But it's there on screen and, and the evidence is is there from you know the filming that you took of that whole experience. It very much deserved the awards wins that it got. If you haven't seen it, God's sake, get get on it. One of my favorite post awards comments is Man has sex with octopus wins Oscar. Made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also watched Promising Young Woman and I think it deserves all the hype. This was absolutely astounding. It builds and builds and builds. And after the final act, my heart was racing. This had darkly comic moments, but it its centre is a really hard-hitting story that was just played beautifully by Kerry Mulligan. My next pick, also on Sky Cinema, is a really good comedy drama from 2019 called Come As You Are. And it's the story of three young men with disabilities going on a road trip with a nurse they've hired as a driver to take them to a brothel in Montreal that caters for people with special needs. Apparently, it's a remake of a highly acclaimed Belgian film from 2011 called Hasta La Vista. It's absolutely brilliant. It's not as as crass as, as the tagline um, and the synopsis make it seem. It's so funny. It's so touching. It deserves a watch. Come as you are on Sky Cinema. And then finally, my second dip into the well of Anderson. And this was such a great watch. And it's the Grand Budapest Hotel. I genuinely, genuinely loved every minute of this film. I thought it was great. Almost no Owen Wilson, which is almost the perfect amount of Owen Wilson, which really which really tipped the scales for me on this one. I thought that was great. And I, I've mentioned it before. I just, I love how Anderson films look on the screen. They're so gorgeous to look at. Yeah, great. Grand Budapest Hotel, if you haven't seen it, which I'm probably the last person on the planet to actually have not seen it. Great. Give it a watch. On to our regular show poster event, which is our box office refund. Ben, is there any box office to refund? We've got box office, but before we get onto that, Sunday just gone saw the 93rd edition of the Oscars. The pandemic-proof ceremony overseen by Steven Soderbergh took place at a number of locations, including a tube station in downtown LA, extravagant. Gone were the clips, skips, and montages. Instead, the awards focused on anecdotes from the nominees themselves. The big winner of the night was Nomadland, picking up Best Film, Best Director, with Chloe Zhao, who is only the second ever female to ever win the Best Director gong. Ouch. And Best Actress for Frances McDormand. The biggest upset of, by all accounts on the night was Best Actor category, which has moved in the schedule to the end of the night, presumably assuming that, that Chadwick Boseman would win for Ma Raimi's Black Bottom, posthumously, only to see the award go to National Treasure and bloody Welshman Sir Anthony Hopkins, who was denied access to Zoom by the producers to actually show up and accept the award. So you just ended up this weird moment where they cut to black. As I value my sleep pattern more than I value a room full of Hollywood elites patting themselves on the back, I opted out of watching the show live uh, in real time. But if I'm to believe Twitter, Francis McDormand turned into a werewolf, Harrison Ford is grumpy even when he's stoned, and Minari's Young Hold Young has officially won the award season with another charming acceptance speech. However, we did feed our own poor Breen a litre's worth of Red Bull so he could stay up all night and give us his exclusive hot takes on the ceremony. How was it, Paul? It's obviously 
in the times we are, they couldn't have the huge, great spectacle, massive stage show, hundreds and hundreds of people in a Dolby theatre watching the, this show. So it was a pair back thing at Union Station. And it reminded me, if you've seen clips of the Oscar ceremonies from the 30s, 40s, etc., from you know, when it started, and it was a lunch affair. So it was around tables. There was a very small stage. And it was very much like that. So obviously, because of social distancing, there were sort of little film bubbles spread out around this sort of half-circle semi-auditorium. And also those people sort of hosting the categories and announcing the nominees, etc. Everything was delivered to camera as opposed to being right. on the stage delivering to the people in the room. So it was a very, mm -hmm. very different vibe. I hate to use the word humble. It's not quite the right word to describe it, but it was, it was very much acknowledging we understand the world, but we still want to acknowledge these great things that have been happening. And I thought it was a success. So it was very odd to have the best picture category, which is normally obviously the last one, as the, mm. the third to last one. There was that assumption that they were holding off because Chavo would get it, but it would just be that posthumous thing. Mm. But Anthony Hopkins won it, and once you've seen all the films you'll understand why he won it. So it was certainly the correct decision, I think, in terms of looking at it purely on the basis of performance as it should be and, and trying to remove the tragedy and politics and things out of those decisions. Because whilst Chadwick Boseman's performance is wonderful, I think Anderson Hopkins' performance is better. But it was odd to have it that way around. And then they say it just sort of ended. There wasn't anybody to just say, thanks, everyone. That's a wrap, folks. And that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. Yeah, and, and credits roll. They just went back to Alex Zane in the studio when they're doing the ad breaks, just doing their bit. And they sort of fumbled through a few minutes reviewing stuff. And that was it. It was done. It was, oh, oh it's over. Oh, right, okay. Right. Right, there's, no, there's nothing at the end. Well, good to know that Alex Zane is still alive. I had no idea. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but stuff. I think that I don't think there were other than probably that best actor category. I don't think there were necessarily any big surprises mm. in there uh, at all. I think everything sort of went to roughly where everybody thought it might go, and uh, yeah. So, but I thought it was a success. Frances McDormand's speech was amazing and I really liked her bit where well I mean it was weird but amazing but I really liked the bit where she was like please watch our movie on the largest screen possible yeah. and one day very very soon take everyone you know into a theatre shoulder yep. to shoulder in that dark space and watch every yeah. film that's represented here tonight and that's, and that the, was a nice that's the first thing she said it wasn't buried in part of her speech the very first thing she said watch it on the biggest screen possible yeah and go into a cinema so which is a brilliant brilliant message well, it's interesting that you said all that, Paul, because my next line here is producers rethink show's future after dismal ratings. Now, I'm not talking about my one man show about diversity I did during my uni days entitled All the Colours of the Rainbow. <laughs> but I am, in fact, talking about the Oscars again, as despite heavy reformatting to the show to work in a pandemic world, early numbers suggest that the ceremony was watched by 9.85 million Americans, which is down 58% from the previous year. Is Soderbergh to blame? Is it the built up lack of interest for the awards in general? Or is it just the pandemic? Because a survey, another survey that was run, showed that only 35% of those people even knew there was a film called Nomadland. These films aren't getting the exposure they would usually do. So are people that interested? Stuart, are you an awards fan? Do you watch the Oscars or the BAFTAs or any of that? I didn't watch the, the Oscars, but I'm, I'm a awards fan. You know, I love sort of, you know, waking up the, the following morning and finding out who's done what and who said what and, you know, scrolling down Twitter and, and just exploring it really, just discovering what's going on. But I think this year with the Oscars and all the awards there's been a real dampener on them and the dampener is what is exactly what we know the cinemas have been shut and the oscars is about films shown on the big screen and yet we we don't have that a number of these films have not been shown on the big screen and if they have they have been shown in to to very limited audiences in very limited areas and i think that's a bit of an undertone of you know it's just a it's just a, I, I, it would have been easy not to do the oscars this year because i think it's it needs to be glitzy it needs to be a real impassioned celebration of film and that means showing 
film on the big screen, making a song and dance about it, and really building it up. And I remember when I was working in cinema, the Oscars time was very, very exciting because you knew you were just going to get a whole bunch of films around February, March, April time. But people just... You're going to get your, your your film lovers. Yeah, they were going to come out. They were going to love it, and they were just you could talk about film, you could engage about film, you could get excited about film. People haven't been able to do that. We've taken that space no. away from them, and we need to give that space back. And we hopefully will will do it quite quickly. Also, just like for business as well. I mean, we all work in cinemas. We know that when they pick that best picture, or if there's like a, a, you know one film gets a lot of awards, everyone then comes in that following week weekend to then catch up with. I mean, for like last year it was Parasite everyone flocked to see it afterwards and there's obviously just the cinemas are closed here so we're not even going to see any of that footfall that's right it's disappointing it's disappointing and and you know it, it, we, we take it we're taking this opportunity for for people to see film or, or away and the, the pandemic's done that to us and we need to and hopefully when cinemas reopen you know, people will get the opportunity to see these films as they are meant to be seen because they are not meant to be seen and it's nice to see them on the couch but they're not meant to be seen on the couch meant to be seen on the big screen totally finally uh, warner brothers new mortal Kombat adaptation performs a fatality on the u.s <laughs> box office do you like that yeah, i like good. that i like that i was pretty happy with that posting 23 million dollars on its opening weekend it just about pipped the animation surprise hit demon slayer to the post which itself got 21 million dollars in the u.s box office of the weekend just gone which is great that's a huge for it's over 50 million dollars for the u.s box office in total and now the godzilla versus kong is up to 406 million dollars worldwide what i'm reading now in the industry press is that what have we got next because between now and i think it's 28th of may is the next line of sort of big hitters quiet place 2 from paramount and disney's cruella which is obviously debuting in cinemas and on disney plus do you think people's newfound momentum is going to be tapered out because people need blockbusters on the screen and they're just not happening at the moment the bigger chains are reliant on those big blockbuster releases to get people in through the doors the smaller chains the more art house chains if you like their choice of film coming up is probably more going to be more successful for them it's just those smaller releases that appeal to those cinephiles that go to those more humble chains yeah but obviously we just want people through the doors full stops so we're seeing obviously films sliding a little bit further back in the schedules i think they're waiting to, again just yeah. waiting to see what the market's going to do we might find some getting moved forward in the schedule again once we all reopen and they see the numbers looking more favorable i don't i don't know it's it's suck it and see isn't it at the moment yeah I think it's interesting that the HBO Max stuff is actually the only thing that is sticking in place and is doing really well at the box office despite being available on the streaming platform mm. so I think it's an indication that perhaps that that model is kind of working Asterix maybe I don't know I think whatever we have there's going to be a difference isn't it in terms of the, the, the way that cinema worked before the pandemic and the way that cinema works now is is just it's just not, not, not going to be the same I don't think mm. the windows uh, the release windows the exhibition windows are going to be the same I don't think they can be I think the game Definitely. has changed and you know i remember a, a time before the panic you know you'd get cinemas play hardball about release windows you can't do that anymore can't do it because you've got people like disney plus investing huge sums of money in terms of their platform releasing super quality content and they're quite happy to release that on their platform and unless there's a reason why they can then re-engage re with cinemas and other distributors they can re-engage with cinemas and one of those reasons would be publicity one of those reasons would be engagement that you might want to generate a buzz about something but unless that can be you know unless cinemas can give that this is the duty of cinemas in cinemas you know double down on the experience part of of exhibition then uh, then there isn't going to be no reason so so that's what that's i suppose that's what we need to do we need to make sure that we remember what cinema is all about and it is the experience and you know the day out that people have loved for years yeah i agree the academy award for best picture la la land Thank you to our incredible cast 
crew. We lost, by the way, but, you know. No, no, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is, this is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Hello. Warren, what did you do? I, I opened the envelope, and it said, la la la. I knew I would screw this show up. Moving on then, we've just heard from him, but it is time to turn a spotlight onto our guest. And this week we have Stuart Holdsworth. Stuart is currently a learning and development practitioner and coach and has been working for many years across a variety of different companies and industries in the world of HR. He previously worked in the exhibition industry, running various cinemas for Cineworld before moving on to head up the National Learning and Development team. He is an avid street art fan and runs the widely successful Inspiring City blog, which posts articles on the best street art from around London, the UK, and in Indeed, the world. He has a natural born gift, perhaps it's the Yorkshire man running through his veins, to sniff out free booze art events across London, of which I've been lucky enough to sneak in a few with him. Breen, over to you. Okay, so thanks for coming on, Stuart. Really appreciate it, mate. What started your love of film? And do you remember the first film you saw and possibly which cinema you saw it in? First of all, the, the, what started my love of film was actually working in a cinema. You know, I remember going into, I might come up to this later, but, you know, working in the first day in my, the new cinema that I worked in, which was Wakefield at the time, it was number two. Cineworld's number two cinema. I just remember the camaraderie. I remember the smell. I remember the excitement that people had to you know, had when they came in to watch a movie, and you could just talk to them, and it was just it's just wonderful. And and you know all the camaraderie that 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 built up. You would watch films when the cinema closed, for example, with with your friends, and it's hard not to really get passionate when you you're given that gift of an environment to to work in. So hence, you know, from there, you know, absolutely hooked. And then in terms of the the first memory, should have been hooked then. ET it was. ET at the ABC in Wakefield and it was one of those old cinemas you know where you had to it was no box office as such it was just a tiny vestibule area where you went in with a little window to buy some maltinas and and the ticket was like a, a paper ticket that you'd tear and yeah. the queues would go around the block so you'd have to queue I remember you'd just queue around the block outside of the building and it just like snaked so so far away because obviously you know the the, the the auditorium was like 400 seats auditorium so that queue was pretty big can you imagine that but you know, going into CET for the first time, it was just like, what is this? You know, this is amazing. And of course, I was the right age for it. Yeah, it ticked all the right boxes, you know, you know, for me, really associated with the characters. And, it, and you know, it's subsequently become a classic. But yeah, that was, the, that was the first one. A good one, I reckon. Yeah, it's a really good one. So obviously, as we mentioned, you've worked in the cinema industry for many years. So how did you ultimately get into the industry? And ultimately, at the back end of it, what made you step away? I got in like a lot of people in the industry. And, and that is because, you know, I needed a, I needed a job. And, and I needed, a, I, I, I was passionate about it at the time for journalism. But it, but living in Wakefield, people ain't queuing up to give you journalism roles at all. That is not a well-known area for hard-hitting journalism. So a cinema opened, and I thought, you know, that's brilliant. As soon as you go in there, your eyes are wide open. Right? The smell of a new building. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to work in a new building. When nobody's, you know, the the the, uh, the contractors have gone on, the, the, the carpet's just been laid, the paint's just gone on the wall. There's a particular smell. There's a particular feel to that, that building. It's an excitement. You know, I remember being about a month in, and I thought, I love this. I love this. This is absolutely great. I, you know, at that time, my substantive post was serving ice cream on the Hagen Dazs stand, right? So, and, but I was loving it. I could speak to people. I would engage with people about film. Everyone coming into that cinema was enjoying themselves. How nice to work in a place where everyone has fun. How nice <laughs> is that? They're all, that's their purpose for coming into the cinema is to have a great time. And then I got, you know, I remember being promoted to assistant management. And I remember the night before 
I was so excited. I couldn't sleep. I was just like, <laughs> wow, this is, this is, I have made it. I am buzzing with excitement. So that night before my first shift as an assistant manager, I just didn't have any sleep at all. I was just buzzing you know, completely. And I thought, well, I'm going to throw all in with this. Got the opportunity to open cinemas around the, the country, work with different people around the country and with like-minded people actually, with like-minded people that had the same viewpoint. And then I got the opportunity. And I, I always credit John Perry, who I think was one of your guests. He'll appreciate the shout-out. He will. He'll <laughs> remember this because I was working, there was an opportunity came up for uh, a learning and development manager position in Cineworld. I never even thought of it. I thought, no, nah, I, like, I like being a general manager. I like this. I love this job. And John Perry calls me up. He's like, hey, Stu, you all right? I says, yeah, I'm all right, John. You? <laughs> So I've got, got something to say to you. So I thought I was in trouble because he's my boss at the time. I thought, right, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says, have you applied for this job, this L&D job? I said, no, no, I haven't, John. I think you should. So I'll always credit John Perry. John Perry got me into learning and development and out of that. So thanks, John, if you're listening. Much obliged to you. But then that sort of helped me on with a different career path. And the reason why I left is because that my natural trajectory at that point was actually I wanted to sort of focus on the learning and development side of things. So in order to do that, I really had to, to leave the company that I was in and get experience in, in different workplaces and just build myself as a L&D practitioner. What's your favourite and or funniest cinema memory that you're happy to share with uh, us and our listeners? Well, the ones that I could say are Certificate PG or Certificate 12A, because uh, there's many that would go beyond that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I always remember it was, at, it was at Cineworld's head office, and it's at Power Road, which is essentially like an industrial estate in the middle of Chiswick. It's sort of an unglamorous building uh, with a little Cineworld sign at the, at the top of it. And, and you, as you go into that building, there's a, there's a little vestibule area with a reception uh, desk. And uh, before I tell you the story, I'll just say that I am, randomly, I'm a massive Take That fan, right? I love them. So anything Take That, I just adore. So I was walking down. There's a, the officers were at the back, and then there's a few stairs that lead down into the reception area. Who should be standing there? But none other than Take That's favourite boyish character, Mark Owen. He was just there, standing in a sort of big, massive oversized coat with one of those like furry hoods that's where he was he was standing there then and quick as a flash I just went right down my broadest yorkshire accent i said hey up mark owen how's it going put my hand in his and i got shake what are you doing here then as if we'd known each other for years as if we were the greatest fan. what brings you to anywhere because i thought we get loads of celebrities all the time i thought he was just seeing some of the people in marketing or film or something like that but he hadn't he hadn't he basically saw this he was doing some recording he'd saw the sign and he confused power road cinema for a cinema for an actual cinema so he was, he'd literally <laughs> before i'd got there and doorstepped him and sort of acted all weird he was basically thinking why are there no films shown in here i can't identify <laughs> how to buy a, buy a ticket so then anyway all, the reception girl that was there at the time it went suddenly around the office that's yours yes yours he's uh best friends with mark owen and, and i wasn't best friends with mark owen i was just a weird guy that's all i was a weird yorkshire man poor mark owen and he was terrified and he couldn't wait to get out <laughs> so, that was my story mark owen's story i don't know what i was expecting but i wasn't expecting that so moving on to your street art blog inspiring city now that's been officially named as one of the top 10 art blogs in the uk so what sparked the love of street art for you and and how did the blog begin well it was going down to london really so i'm a, you know from yorkshire originally and uh, i got the opportunity to move down to london with the job with cineworld really and so i moved down there 
you know, started up afresh. And the one thing that I uh, I moved in, the place I moved into was East London. If you know East London well, there's a place called Brick Lane and Shoreditch. And at the time I moved down around 2012, I just, you know, I just love exploring, just seeing, you know, what's around and just walking the streets and learning about history and learning about the culture. And my eyes were open. I just couldn't believe the amount of art that I was seeing them and good quality art. Like no, it was, it wasn't scrawls on the wall. This was like pro- proper, proper full on murals. And every single time I walked up that lane, Brick Lane and, and into Shoreditch, the art had changed. And I just, I was just like, this is unbelievable. Who is doing this and why, why are they doing it? And so maybe me, I would Google it and I wouldn't find the information that I could, I couldn't find that information. You know, there, was a, there were clearly talented artists out there and they were clearly doing amazing work, but I couldn't discover them. So I thought, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to write something for a while. I've not any particular background in art as such, but I was interested in who these people were. And so that's what, so I wanted to find out. So that's how it started. I thought, right, I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to meet them. I'm going to explore, you know, what makes, what makes them tick. And then that just evolved from a sort of London centric focus to, you know, covering street art around the world, but also more, you know, different types of art. So more contemporary works, so you might recognize them more studio artists or sculpture. I, you know, I talk about it's a different branch of public art that, that I, I started to just, just find fascinating and from then once you start a blog like that you can't really stop you've got to keep writing you've got to just keep going that then gives your blog a, a longevity it gives it a, a reputation it means that when you write it's your, your post is mo- most likely to be ranked higher on something like 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 google for example and you can just keep going like that and uh, the key thing is do you still love it and, and of course i've just learned to love scene learned to love art and, and appreciate the t- just huge talent that these people have and that's it and, th- and, th- and that's where inspiring city yeah began and it's still going you have a great podcast called art related noise and uh, you've had some unbelievable guests on there so tell us a bit about the podcast and obviously it doesn't just focus on street art could you just give our listeners a an overview of it it's called art related noise and it's and it's getting under the skin of what what makes artists tick that's what it is and i, and I um produce it with uh, enter gallery which is a, a gallery in brighton and basically a lot of the the uh, artists that we use are, are from that gallery and are, and are shown within that that sort of gallery. Uh, and it just gives me an, a, a real opportunity to discover artists from a whole bunch of different genres. So the most recent artist is uh, an artist who goes by the name of House of Lucy. Her style is subversion. So she takes porcelain dolls, old pictures, and she subverts them. She puts a modern twist on it. So for example, she might take a, 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 an oil painting from a, of the Haywain and she might draw some graffiti on the Haywain or something like that. And she just subverts it in a different way. It sounds quite twee just doing that, but, but it's very clever when it's from so and and then then I get to speak to people like you know Ben Ein, who if if you're a follower of the uh, you know the street art scene, you know that this guy goes goes deep in terms of graffiti culture, and and you can get to know these people a little bit more, and you can get uh, to understand what makes them tick. So essentially, art art related noises is just a series of interviews where you're learning about art, learning about who they are, and learning about the work that we're doing. It's great for me because then I can you know just just enhance my own knowledge about what's happening in the wider art scene. Now we couldn't have you on and not ask this next question. So you once had a public twitter fight with banksy what happened <laughs> first it wasn't a twitter fight it was actually a comment on a blog so he commented on a on a blog and essentially it says you're full of shit you don't know what you're actually talking about and to be fair at the time i suspect <laughs> it, it didn't i don't know if it was banksy but i did check in the background of the you know you can tell where the you know post has come from and things like that and it sort of seemed to check out but i've got no other confirmation than that but basically what happened was is that i'd written a blog post about murals being defaced so at the time, I just sort of started a blog. It was 2013, 2014, and I'd written a series of posts about 
murals being defaced and i wasn't happy about it because these were beautiful murals and somebody was going over and they were doing what they call throw-ups or tags or things like that i thought how could you do that absolutely shocking behavior doing this is you know you're disrespecting the artists but what i didn't realize at the time if it was indeed banksy but what banksy was referring to was actually you're missing the point of what graffiti and street art culture is you're completely missing the point hence you are full of shit and you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) and and that is and and i and i learned from that i thought you know you're absolutely right because it's it's it's, it's ephemeral, right? You know, it's grief, graffiti and street art culture is about something isn't meant to last forever. If you do a piece and it's had its day, then someone will go over and do their thing on, on that piece. And nobody has a right to any particular wall. And that's how Banksy started when he was in his graft days back in Bristol and, and with all the sort of crew that they that, that would have he would have hung around with then. It's about, you know, getting up and getting out and just showing your style. And quite frankly, nobody owes anything. So it taught me a lot about graffiti culture. Because I'd not really, but remember, I was coming to street art without that background. Um, I'd never seen graffiti in my life before I moved from Wakefield. Uh, and, and, you know, he taught me a lesson. Yeah, he taught me a lesson. So now I always say that. I say, yeah, Banksy taught me a lot. And he said I was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stu, we like to ask people on this podcast what their guilty pleasure is. Is it a thing that actually exists? Who knows? We like to find out. And episode after episode, we ask the question, what is your favourite guilty pleasure? What is a film that is commonly derived that didn't do well financially, critically, any of the illies, but you fucking love it? Well, I'm glad you asked, Ben. I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> my guilty pleasure is something which I know this everyone on this podcast absolutely loves and adores. It is Eurovision, the story oh, of Fire Saga. Oh. Play Ya Ya Ding Dong all day long. That's all I oh. can say about that matter. Oh, the the end moment of Husevik, I watch it. I have that thing on repeat. I think I can a... mute him from <laughs> this panel here. Do, do, we end the, end, do we end the pod now? Do we end the pod I now? also know how much you guys deride it, but I was thinking, no, I really like this. This is a good film. This is a great okay. film. I... <laughs> there you go. The stunned silence says, Will Ferrell, has he ever been better? That's the question. Yes, yes, significantly, yes, as multiple times. Yes, 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 picked by Breen. So Breen, what were your picks? Okay, so the first film that we reviewed was on Prime, The Sound of Metal. You sounding great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. Try to save my life. Ruben, the world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But those moments of stillness. So so the plot is a heavy metal drummer's life thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. And it's the story of his journey, dealing, learning to deal and come to terms with that. What did everybody think? This was fucking great. I loved it. I thought Riz Ahmed 
was incredible. The sound design in this film, it deserves the Oscars it got for, for sound and sound editing, it was absolutely incredible. The moments after he had his surgery, when he's talking to the doctor and yeah. it, it, she's flicking between channels and stuff, absolutely mind-blowing. And Riz Ahmed delivered it exceptionally. I thought all the... All the other characters surrounding him just fed into this storyline. It was just brilliant, this film. I can't recommend it enough. It's a great pick. It's an exceptional piece of filmmaking. It's it's insane. I mean, who taught, you know, Riz Ahmed from Four Lions to Sound of Metal. I mean, how yeah, diverse a, a range of acting skills and acting sets he's going to need for these films. It was a unbelievable piece of filmmaking. Uh, the performances across the board. Paul Ratchie, if that's how you Ratchie. pronounce it. Ratchie. Yeah. Joe, it was insane. I mean, because his parents are both deaf, so he's not. But he obviously he grew up entirely around a culture of deafness, if you like. So he was obviously able to very much draw on all of that experience in his performance, and it was stunning. There are so many incredible moments in this film. Like you said, the sound design was impeccable. And it really did give you an insight into what it would be like for this to start to happen to you. Just from the opening moments, the crashing sound of the, their music on stage in those opening in that opening scene was just a barrage of noise and sound, and, and then the quietness of the the country retreat, if I use that as a phrase of where he goes yeah. to, and then his hearing dropping out, and like you said, when the implants go in, and that cacophony of just completely confusing sound that he has to go to try and learn to decipher. It was just phenomenal performances from start to finish, and you, you were so invested in that journey right from the off it's a proper work of art that film it's wonderful it was it was something special i mean i have to say i i agree with all that, that one of the things that i took away from from that movie was how they tackled the process of uh, you know of his deafness you know which is obviously really impacted by you know the, the heavy metal plane and then then just seeing his story and seeing his angst but then also seeing the support that was available to him and seeing the process that he had and adults to go through to start um, learning british as well it wouldn't have been british american sign language i suspect at that time and and different technique for working with with other people that had lost their hearing you don't see that story you don't really see that unless you, you you're you're sort of living it or you're you're working in that sort of environment you don't actually see what people go through and how people might be educated to regain communication skills and that's what i thought was absolutely fascinating and powerful about that film how you know this shock to the system had happened a real like my world has been torn upside down fundamentally who i am has changed because i can't hear and i'm a musician and then he just goes in and he has to he has to change and and how he turned that around and how he how he did that and how other people around him reacted to it. I thought it was fantastic. And I think just for, for that perspective, to, to understand what it is like to be a person with hearing loss, I think is is powerful. 
Yeah, totally. And when he gets to the camp, I the story didn't go in it in directions that I thought it would. I, I loved the hidden meaning in this, in the sound of metal. I never understood why the film was called Sound of Metal, but you've obviously got the metal of that absolutely horrendous song at the beginning that I fucking hated, by the way. I mean, it was great <laughs> in terms of the film, but it was no yo-yo ding-dong, let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> I would have definitely walked out with my ears bleeding. But yeah, I love the meaning of the actual metal, the literal interpretation of like metal as the music, the metal of the symbols of the drums, the sound of the metal slide, where he first starts to have that interaction with the other the hearing impaired child and and then at the very oh I mean I don't want to spoil it but there's church bells at some point and then the how that sounds as well it's such a tight tight script Darius Marder who wrote and directed this film he was talking in interviews about how intimate this project was for him he was going for a really tough breakup a real sort of personal shift in his own life and he's reflecting on letting go what we think defines us aren't the things that actually define us and how clinging on to them can damage not only ourselves but the people around us and Riz Ahmed like he has always been incredible and everything's done slow down okay Slow down. Yo, chill, dude. We're gonna be a minute. Just chill, okay? Just slow down a minute. Look, this is so fucked up. Who's gonna be looking out for you over there? Who's gonna look out for it's you? Okay. Don't say it's that okay. guy. It's look, okay. I need, I need more of a plan, Lou. I need, I need more from you, Lou. Okay, it's just fucking. Ruben, promise. Say it, Ruby, or all of this is for shit. Say it. Promise. Go back there right now. Promise. Say it. I promise if you... No, say it. Promise. I need you to wait for me. Okay? You're it for me. You're my fucking heart. You're it for me. Okay? You gotta wait for me. I love my you. fucking heart. Okay? The way he internalizes that grief but gives the viewer enough to know what, what's going on and, and, and you kind of need that. And if you're not getting it from him, you're getting it from the script, which is razor fucking tight, like coming off his addiction. And he's like, oh, that happened four years ago. They last took it and go, oh, when did you meet your girlfriend? Four years ago. They're, right. We've got everything we need to know about that relationship. And apparently yeah. there was months and months of work done in, into sort of building these these characters. And you see just the fleeting glance of it on the screen, but it's enough to know what's going on. And yeah, I mean, again, sorry, the sound design, gonna harp on about it. Like I suffer from tinnitus myself and I have those moments where something will trigger it and I will just temporarily lose 50% of my hearing in each ear and I'll hear that ringing. And oh my God, this was like, I, I was like going through PTSD for me. Like it was like, oh my God, this is exactly how it sounds for me when it happens to me. Absolutely incredible. Um, Yeah, just oh, a tour de force of a film. Yes, everyone's saying exactly the same thing. And unfortunately, you've just heard four people say exactly the same thing as everyone else, but watch this film. And, and if you do watch it, watch it with a good sound bar, watch it with a good setup because the, that sound design is deserved. To, you need to hear it, even when it's sort of like towards the end, when you, it's almost like a, an internet video buffering and he's mm -hmm. just sort of reacting to it, like all that stuff. Oh, I mean, yeah, what a film, what a film. So moving on to my second choice for this episode. Uh, this is also on Prime and it's The Mauritanian. If you stray outside the designated areas, you will be removed from the island. It's recommended you wear a hijab when visiting your client. We've had incidents of inmates spitting at female lawyers. You want to represent the head recruiter for 9-11? Mohamedou Old Slahi, the Mauritanian held in Guantanamo. He recruited the guys who flew your friend's plane into the South Tower. He put those men on my husband's plane? I'm going to make him pay. I'm Nancy Hollander. This is my associate. We wish to represent you. We are seeking the death penalty. But if we miss something, this guy goes home. Let's get to it. Mohamed Ulvari fights for freedom after being detained and imprisoned without charge by the US government for years in Guantanamo Bay. 
What do we think of this? I'm just going to thank you for making me watch this, Paul, because I, even from that description, I was like, that is such a done film. This is a done subject. Who are involved? BBC are involved. Okay, so I know exactly what I'm going to get. It's going to be a by the numbers courtroom thing. He's going to get emotional. They're going to get emotional. Everyone's going to clap and walk away and we'll be like, God, there's so much injustice in the world. But this is a great film. This, it was almost like it reminded me of Concrete Cowboy with it's not an original story, but if you're doing everything well and it's all well executed and it all flows together, then you're going to get something that's great. And this was a great film. It really did things that I did not expect. I absolutely love this film. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. What did you guys think? I I loved it. I mean, the, the, the same same reason for you. And Tahir Rahim's performance as well, in particular, was really powerful as a Mauritanian. I'd like you to consider releasing your letters. To a newspaper? Maybe a book. People need to read your story for themselves. And it'll put pressure on the government to give us a court date. I'm writing for that. Would you like me to step outside? Yeah. Keep going. You don't want to pray? Are you religious now? Why do you care? I don't. I care about you. A lot, a lot of these stories are coming out now about you know what happened you know after nine eleven and the you know the um, you know detention of people without charge at Guantanamo Bay. I think there's still a few people in there, but you know he was in there for seventeen years or something crazy. I can't remember the exact exact number, but it just went through his you know experience in there and the, the sort of challenges that that existed in terms of getting visibility over you know what was happening here. Um, and Tahir Rahim, Rahim, and what what an actor! I was a little bit, still a little bit when I was started watching. I was still a little bit of annoyed with him i've got to be honest with you for being so mean in the serpent <laughs> if you've seen that and i was he was really mean in that show and yeah and i was thinking oh i'm not sure if i'm gonna be all right with you as a mauritanian i don't know if i can engage but i could engage i realized it was only an actor who's playing a role in the serpent <laughs> i realized that i realized that now but you know god it was it's cracking i really loved it and benedict cumberbatch as well can i just talk about benedict cumberbatch's american accent which he shouldn't do <laughs> this shouldn't happen. He goes into this deep, hey man, American drawl, I'm Benedict Cumberbatch. You're not, you're a, you're a sort of middle class, slightly upper middle class British bloke. Please don't try to be, you know, a Southern American. It's not your style. You cranks so all think that we're trying to set up some kind of lawless garrison site. We're drinking beers in a prison gift shop. What the hell else would you call it? The law says you get open file discovery, and I want you to have discovery. That way, when I beat you, your client will have nothing to hide behind. You sound very sure of that outcome. You haven't seen what I've seen. Let me ask you, I understand everyone has a right to defense, but doesn't it bother you at all working for someone like this? I'm not just defending him, I'm defending the rule of law. I'm very ignatian of you. Hmm. I didn't think his accent was that bad. I thought it was. I thought he could have done some work. <laughs> but as soon as I got over that, I liked Tim's performance as well. The whole thing was good. I think this, I love this film. Whatever you think of the Americans' response to 9-11 and whatever you think about Guantanamo Bay, the, the film itself is not centered on that argument. It's about the American justice system and it's, inconsistencies and you know like you said the over a decade he was held there without charge it's that story it's that journey and it's it's that argument they're putting forward is fine you can have this but you still need to follow the american justice system 
follow that process and the fact that you didn't. And it's, it's very critical of both the Republicans and the Democrats. It, it doesn't hold back in, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't pick a side, if you like, because it very happily acknowledges the fact that even under Obama's administration, even though he was he got the letter to say that he was going to be a free man. That was rescinded. And he spent another, what, seven years, was it? It was. Before yeah. he finally got out. And that was the Obama administration. So it didn't hold back and it didn't pick sides. And it was just, it was an essay on the American justice system. Yet another thing about why it's so deplorable and it's it's so ineffectual and biased. That's possibly why a lot of people haven't necessarily watched it, because they think it's going to be at Guantanamo Bay and people have got very staunch attitudes to to that place and why it exists but the film isn't actually about that and i think it does a very good job of that even if it didn't do a very good job in the marketing campaign to say that that's what the film's about performances across the board accents aside were phenomenal i liked the fact that whilst the names at the top of the tree you know in terms of the marketing that there was were jodie foster benedict cumberbatch they weren't in the film that much when you look back at it, then yeah, they weren't in, in every scene in across it all the time. It's focused on that character on that main character that they're trying to get out. And it's very it's very balanced. They wanted the stars in there to give it kudos, but they didn't didn't want that to overpower the story that they were trying to tell. Mm. And I think they struck that balance very well. So it was well shot. Performances were excellent across the board. Really pleased to have watched it. And then yet again, I'm very angry at the American justice system as we seem to be after every single thing that we watch. Hammond, is it gonna be four for four? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it was a really, really good watch. Tahar Rahim was was brilliant. He carried the film. And at the start, you didn't know, was he involved? You know, he got a phone call from Osama bin Laden's personal mobile phone. So you think, right, well, he's a fucking in, isn't he? He's a recruiter. So, you know, he deserves everything he gets. But then he doesn't. And he, the film humanizes him. And the little relationship between him and Shailene Woodley, who I'm really pleased to see, you know, from Fault in, the, fault in fault Their in Stars, Fault in Her yeah. Stars. Fault in Our Stars. Fault in Their Stars to... The Divergent series to now this. She, she's a very, very good actress, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what else. And it was a really sweet relationship, I think, they formed. She kind of was the little glimmer of hope. Jodie Foster, as always, everything she touches turns to gold. I think she's mm. absolutely phenomenal. Benedict Cumberbatch, accent aside, could have been anybody. He didn't really bring much to the film. Anybody could have played played that part. And I think you're right. It's just throwing a headliner in there to try and try and bring some attention to this film. And again, when when the credits rolled and you realise that he's, you know, he got shafted for another seven years is mind blowing. And the statistics they throw up about Guantanamo Bay, you know, eight hundred people sent there, seven convicted, five overturned in all that time. You're just like, oh, come on, guys, get, get, get your shit together. But it, it is what it is. It was a really, really good watch. They could have gone, you know, he was tortured for 70 days before a forced confession. And again, even that, it wasn't gratuitous. It showed you what he went through and how he come out the other end. You, you, what I love about these films is when it shows you the real person at the end when he got out of the car when he returned to Mauritania and he was just happy see he doesn't he didn't seem to be vengeful in any way didn't he was happy that he's alive and he's back with his family and the book that he released is definitely going to be one that I'm going to buy because whilst most of it is redacted I think that's going to be an absolutely fascinating read so yeah great pick Shailene Woodley her character was brilliant and it was an example of the film being very intelligent in the way that was handled when she was like a human rights lawyer and then there was a whiff that maybe he was guilty and maybe there was a chance that he was actually involved with the 9-11 attacks and that character didn't want to carry on with that yeah. with that trial but Jodie Foster's like that's not what this is about this is about the like the justice system and implementing those things yeah, yeah it was that was really good. You know, she was a really good character, really good counterpoint to Jodie Foster. And I really like the aspect ratio. No one's mentioned that. I thought someone else would, but I like the way that it, the aspect ratio switched to 
F4-3 for the, the past sequences. Do you think once streaming stops, once we get back into the cinemas, they're like, that's going to stop? Because there's been so many films recently, I was thinking of, I'm thinking of ending things as well, where the aspect ratio shifts and programming, that would be a nightmare because when we need to keep the film in flat and people would be complaining that it's not filling the screen. Yeah, firstly, it would, it would be a nightmare for us as cinema managers because the audience wouldn't understand that that's meant to be yeah. the way. My cinema is only two years old and I don't have squeaky black curtains around the sides and bottom of my screen. So when we first opened, customers were like, oh, the, the picture's not filling the screen. I was like, well, just imagine there were curtains there like an old cinema. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. would, as if by magic. So yeah, I think ratio flipping would technically be a nightmare for us. But it's yeah. nice. It's a nice touch when it happens. It does It does bring a different dimension to the film. It is. It works so well on, on streaming. Ratio flipping. I like that, Hammond. I'm going to use that term. <laughs> <laughs> Coining it. There we go. Perfect. So two for two, Breen. You've finally done it after God knows how many episodes. You've picked two films we all like. Fuck you, Hammond. <laughs> Who picked them for you? Did you Google it? Let's all go to the lobby. lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Moving on into our second regular feature, which is our in-scene question. So inspired by the sound of metal, what is your favourite on-screen musician from film or TV? Right, I'm going to jump in first because I know somebody else will probably pick it before me and I'll be really annoyed. This is Spinal Tap. It was my immediate choice. I've got a list, but I'm not going to go through it. Good. But yeah, there's, it's it's perfect. It's a perfect comedy. Some of the the jargon in there has become just part of the lexicon of people. Even if people haven't seen the film, turning up to 11 has become a thing outside of the movie. Play all? I mean, do you actually play all these? or? Well, I play them and I cherish them. Look, see? Still got the uh, the old tagger on it. See, never even played it. See? You just bought it. Don't and... touch it. I, don't well, touch I, it. I wasn't going to touch it. No, don't touch it. I was it. just pointing at it. I... Well, don't point even. Don't it even point? Be, no, it can't be played. Never. I mean, I, Can I, I look I, at no. it? No. No, you've seen don't enough of that it. one. This is a top to a, you know, what we use on stage. The numbers all go to... 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? I put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. It's just become a, a phrase that people use. Brilliantly directed, brilliantly performed, not only the performances in terms of the acting, but obviously they do play the instruments as well. I don't know what else to say about this is Spinal Tap. The director's commentary that they do as the band is as funny as the film. So, yeah, this is Spinal Tap is my choice. All three members of, of Spinal Tap. Yeah, or and, the drummer. And, 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 and the, 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 the rotating fourth drummer. The rotating all, fourth all the, drummer. All the, all, all the drummers. Uh, all four members of Spinal Tap. Sorry, I forgot the, nice. the drummer. Yeah, perfect. Rotates. Yeah, yeah. Great. I'll go next because I, I read this question about 20 minutes before we started recording the podcast so wildly un and i didn't really understand the question if i'm entirely honest just ask, so I've got a list. ask us if you don't understand i don't want another jump in the shark scenario if you don't get no, it just fine. ask <laughs> no i i kind i kind of get it but i've got a bit of a list because i didn't really get it so my favorite on-screen musician from film is probably Tom Cruise from Rock of Ages. If we're talking about an actor playing a fictional musician, the film is fucking awful, but he's so funny and cheesy and hams it all up in that. My favourite actor playing a real-life musician is Joaquin Phoenix in Walk the Line. Fucking great film, and Joaquin Phoenix absolutely nails that part. And my favourite musicians acting is the original Ocean's Eleven featuring Sinatra and co. 
So that's it. Okay. Covered awesome. all the bases. Covered, covered, covered all the bases. All three. <laughs> although, although if we were nitpicking, the Rat Pack didn't play instruments. No, but they're musicians. It says the fucking on-screen musicians. Yeah. It doesn't say, do they play instruments? You head out your ass, brain. Sick your attitude. Isn't that what the <laughs> definition of musician is? I should have written the question more specifically. I apologize, Hammond. No, no. I would say out of the three of them, walk the line would be the... I should have read the notes before 11 o'clock this morning. <laughs> well, I've got a, a, a classic. I'm sure you'll all appreciate this one. Jack Black is mine. Oh, yeah. From School of oh, Rock. What, what oh, a yeah, show. Awesome. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. Everyone loves Jack Black comes in as the cool school teacher and he just loves rock. And he's a wannabe <laughs> rock musician. And he sort of transforms all those kids into his own band. Yeah. Okay. Teach. 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 All right. Look, here's the deal. I've got a hangover. Who knows what that means? Doesn't that mean you're drunk? No. It means I was drunk yesterday. It means you're an alcoholic. Wrong. You wouldn't come to work hungover unless you're an alcoholic. Dude, you got a disease. Hmm. Hmm. What's your name? Freddie Jones. Hmm, Freddie Jones. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up. And they're all, the kids in the show were all musicians as well, so they were handpicked. Uh-huh. Because of their, you know, inerrant talent and to, to appear in that show. It's since become a stage musical and all sorts of stuff. But what a feel-good movie that was. Jack Black. It's the brilliant. only film with Jack Black in it where I don't want to repeatedly punch him in the face. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm there with you on that one, Ben. I, I say I really am. He's highly annoying in many, many films. But in that one, I can yes. watch it again and again. I think, isn't, Absolutely. Doesn't he, during the, when he's talk, talking at the end, uh, as the credits start to roll, he references the cinema staff waiting to clean the screens. That's right, he does. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. does. That's exactly what he does, yes. Yeah. Which was always good when you were sort of actually cleaning the screens and that was on. You say, oh yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get Disney Plus to stream a film exclusively that stars Owen Wilson and Jack Black and just make Hammond watch it. Clockwork Orange style. <laughs> on really bad internet connection so it keeps buffering as well. The eyes fixed <laughs> open. Just really drag it out. So my answer for this question is actually it's twofold but from the same film. So Love and Mercy from 24 14, which is about Brian Wilson. Have you guys seen this film? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. Um, I think Paul da- John Cusack plays the older version of Brian Wilson. I think Paul Dano, that is the better performance and he gets the, more of the bulk of the running time. God only knows what I'd be without you. And the last verse repeats one more time and the, the chorus will harmonize over and over at the end. It's so rough, I know, but it's getting there. Do you like it, Dad? Oh, you don't want my advice? Or my meddling? Well, just tell me what you think. How much use of me is there? Did you close your eyes like I asked you to? Tony and I think. If you close your eyes, you can see a place where something's happening. It's like being blind, but because you're blind, you can see more. Don't you think it's a spiritual kind of thing? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I closed my eyes, didn't see a thing. I just think he's absolutely fantastic. Those scenes where he's in the studio and he's creating those sounds on that famous album and the way that it kind of deals with the depression and, and the sort of things that he was going through while he was creating that and sort of juxtaposing that with where he is in the future and that sort of relationship that he has in the future as well. It's a really, really lovely film. And I think, yeah, I think Paul Dano does an amazing... I mean, Paul Dano always delivers, but yeah, in that film particularly, I think he does an amazing job as Brian Wilson. So yeah, uh, Love and Mercy 2014. Very good. Very good. Let's go again! He does not get it! Get it! Half 
So that does bring us almost to the end. I just need to tell you what we are reviewing for episode 16. Frustratingly for me, we are recording the next episode a mere few days before the cinemas reopen. So I can't give you a juicy new big screen pick. Mercer, I believe that's going to be you. So I hope and pray this is the last time we have to choose VOD titles. So to round out what's been an incredibly strange few months of film watching, and before we all go diving back into the cinemas, sticking to a musical theme, I would like us all to watch The United States versus Billie Holiday, which is on Sky Cinema slash Now TV. And let's have a bit of full-on government force action, shall we? On April 30th on Amazon Prime, Michael B. Jordan brings a Tom Clancy without remorse let's get that watched so time for the end of pod question so talking of incredible action movies what is rambo's iconic red headband made of and i'm talking less about the material and more about the item okay. nice that is it from me thank you guys so so much stuart thank you so much for your time and uh, you. joining us it's been a really fun record and i'll see you on the next episode so it's over to you guys okay so yeah thanks everyone for listening stuart as echo thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it but it's been a great one so everybody out there please be good if you can't be good be careful also please get in contact with us on our, all of our social media channels so on facebook look for seen this pod on twitter seen this underscore pod on instagram seen this pod and if you want to send us an email feel free so it's seen this pod at gmail.com remember email in and i will give you my itunes password so you can watch for mankind <laughs> like a rambling awards speech acceptance speech thank you so much for making it this far into the show and yeah we'll see you all on the next episode cheers yeah guys thanks for having me absolutely amazing uh, to be part of this fantastic i think i think i'm I'm sure in saying it's the best film podcast in the world. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, think right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Amazing. We didn't pay him to say that. Can it just be noted? No money changed hands. He said that of his free will. If you want to, if you want to check, check out my, my blog, if you're interested in art and street art, at inspiringcity.com or www.inspiringcity.com. Oh, and that's it. Let's just, just check me out on social. Brilliant. Thanks very much. And we'll see you on the next one. You have been listening to Have You Seen This with Paul Breen, Ben Hammond and myself, Ben Mercer. The main theme is the Godzilla theme tune, remixed by myself, with beats supplied by Lander. Please like and subscribe if you've enjoyed the pod and please check us out on Facebook and Instagram forward slash seen this pod, seen spelled S-C-E-N-E. All views and opinions are those of their hosts. Amazing. Who's next? I'm going to go because I want to get up on my soapbox and have a rant. So here I go. I'm getting up. Getting up on the soapbox. <laughs> Just putting his crotch on camera. <laughs> My flies are uh, done up, thank God. I did get changed very quickly when I came in off my bike. Generally, that could have been a real concern. (laughs) 